Coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fourth Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, we have an updated version of the Ron Show today. If you listen this morning, this is a different version, somewhat, because we have to talk about Trump and the immunity situation as it unfolded with the D.C. Circuit Court decision. We will discuss that and how Fox News and right-wing media is handling it. But first... Atlanta City Council approved a plan to verify petitions. They passed an ordinance that lays out formal guidelines for counting signatures. This is the future of a petition on the APD Training Center is tied up in court. Fox News' Christopher King is live tonight at City Hall with more details. Christopher. Christine, Tom, supporters say the new plan sets out a clear process to validate petitions, but opponents say it could violate voters' democratic rights. Ten years, five nays, the motion to adopt a substitute and amended carries. Atlantic Council members on Monday passed an ordinance to clear up how the city will validate signatures on petitions. It codifies a process that we need that will be used to verify, you know, future petitions in terms of, you know, signature verifications. That was Councilman. Howard Shook, who drafted an amendment you'll hear about later in the story. Council member Howard Shook introduced a measure to require the city to verify signatures. He says the city had no formal process until now. I think it's a good idea. I think it provides you know, clarity uh, in a situation where that is needed. Councilmember Shook made a substitution to my bill. Council member Liliana Bakhtiari introduced the original proposal for validating petitions. Shook's measure amended hers. So much so that she actually voted against the measure after the amendment, y'all. We have a process in place. It's not a terrible process. Bakhtiari worries voter verification could interfere with the public's democratic rights. Inevitably, it will amount to some form of disenfranchisement against voters. As uh, Riley Bunch at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports, an amended substitute measure ultimately passed into five city lawyers said that the changes needed to be made to the legislation so that it would not conflict with state laws surrounding referendums. Uh, Council members Bakhtiari, Byron Amos, Jason Dozier, Antonio Lewis, and Keisha Sean Waits ultimately voted against the proposal. And opponents of the training center lined up again at City Hall Monday for public comment and rallied enough supporters to speak for more than two hours. At one point, a group of protesters removed from council chamber by law enforcement after occupying members' seats behind the dais. Stephanie Ali, policy director with the New Georgia Project, echoed concerns shared by both organizations and some council members that the Georgia State Legislature may crack down on citizen-led referendums after Atlanta's controversy over the training center. Saying, what the city of Atlanta does echoes across the state. Atlanta influences everything. It's not just a shirt. It's true. The initial legislation sets clear, fair, and deeply important standards for referendums here in Atlanta, which of course provides you an opportunity to set up municipalities statewide, she went on. It seems in the law that there's some gray area that can be open to interpretation that would be opening the door to signature matching, but there was not actual language validating signature match as part of the city's process. City Council Member Julian Bond, back to the AJC article, a supporter of the facility, said signature matching is not enshrined in the ordinance. He pointed to a section that says, quote, optical character recognition, or OCR, or exact matches of signatures won't be required to verify a signer. He said in the meeting, so for people 
who are concerned that we're voting on signature match, it's here in this section that OCR is not an option for the city. Councilmember Bakhtiari said that the language within the final bill leaves room for interpretation. I understand that this is not the same thing. However, verification, as it is listed, to me can still create issues for people experiencing disability, the elderly, etc., she said. Friend of the show, Dom Kelly, founder and CEO of the Disabled South and Disabled South Rising, tweeting signature matches ableist and disproportionately disenfranchises disabled voters, especially multiply marginalized disabled folks. We've tried to tell y'all that most politicians don't care about the disability community, but here's more proof. The Georgia Working Families Party tweeting, in case you missed it, today the ATL City Council voted in favor of a voter suppressionist legislation to codify the referendum process. The legislation, introduced by Councilmember Shook and seconded by Boone, was offered as a substitute to the Councilmember Liliana Bakhtiari's original bill. They then shared this video. Georgia Working Families continuing to tweet, We will not soon forget the lawmakers who have turned their backs on their constituents. All city council seats will be up in 2025. This May, there will be a special election for one of the at-large posts. We are fired up and ready to go. We will continue to fight to put Cop City on the referendum as a ballot, and we will continue to organize to elect lawmakers who are accountable to us, not corporations, and the elite political class. Activist Anoa Changa tweeting, the Atlanta way is going to make it super difficult for Biden et al. to come down here talking about saving democracy when anti-democratic policies are a bipartisan effort. How do you tell people to choose your team over the other guys? Hillary Holly, executive director of Care in Action, senior director of civic engagement at the National Domestic Workers Alliance and on the board for Emerge Georgia tweeting today, ATL Dems brought back one of the most proven voter suppression tactics, signature match. Under Stacey Abrams' leadership in 2019, we were able to get the state to stop using this tactic. But Mayor Dickens just helped bring it back. This will impact 2024. You picking up what I'm putting down? Back to WAGA-TV Fox 5's reporting. The council passed the ordinance as the petition on the training center is tied up in court. City officials say they're barred from counting the signatures. They say organizers missed the August 21st deadline. A federal judge previously extended that deadline into September. But an appeals court paused the enforcement of that order. I just love the city's posture on that. Yeah, you got the deadline extended, and then you went on through the extension of that deadline, and then we fought the extension of the deadline and had it rescinded, and now you're in violation, so we're just not going to count it at all. That's the legal posturing from the city whose mayor said, yeah, let's put it up for a vote. Let's see what the citizens have to say, who then tries to stonewall every opportunity to give the citizens an opportunity to vote on. Now, judges are scheduled to hear arguments on the petition on the training center on Thursday. So we could find out then if the city will be forced to count those signatures or not. So at least, and, and, and credit to Fox 5 WAGA for covering the story, I have to point out, by the way, that that is the one time in that story that I actually heard the full scope when he mentions that the city would be forced to count the votes. Again, this is the same city who has a mayor that has said he openly encourages the opportunity to take this conversation to the voter, but then 
willfully stifles, suppresses, obstructs the referendum process at every turn. You can't. It's it's saying it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Okay, what's ironic about this? Uh, Andre Dickens, mayor of Atlanta, was in Washington recently meeting with President Biden, who it seems like Andre's efforts are going to derail Biden's opportunity to take Georgia again in 2024. Let me roll out that uh, video from uh, POTUS Instagram account real quick. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Good well, I used to be this tall. <laughs> You know, uh, when you fly into Atlanta, you go to Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, the world's busiest airport. That's right, the world's busiest and most efficient. Well, right now we are expanding Concourse D thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law that you put in place. And this thing here enables us to build it a mile away and then transport it in with millimeter like precision. It's called a SPMT, which is a self-propelled modular transport unit. So a big section of an airport is built off-site and we roll it in here overnight. And that way we can keep people working, keep the airport flowing, and still be able to expand this concourse. Oh. Well, you know, it is the busiest airport in the world. Yeah, so we're being innovative. And I'm an engineer, so I love this kind of thing where we can build this as it's already there. So it's already in place. And so now as we build it, we don't disrupt the operations of the world's busiest airport. That would have meant loss of jobs. It would have meant flights could have to be canceled. Now we're expanding the airport, expanding gates while it's still in motion. We couldn't have gotten that done without uh, this bipartisan infrastructure law. Mayors are the most critical piece of expansion. And, uh, you know, it's all about investing in hope. That's about hope. That's right. Every new every new, new enterprise and the idea that you continue to expand, continue to modernize, continue to speed up transportation is really important. You know, we thank you. The mayors, we're all talking about thanking you and, 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 and your administration. Yeah, that's all fine and well. However... All that talk about hope and uh, what hope do you get when you are defying more than 100,000 voters who put their signature on a referendum to get an issue on a ballot that's actually not going to happen now in March? Will it happen in November at all? If the city has their way, they would not allow it to happen. It may not happen anyway because, again, of the moving of the goalposts, how many of those signatures, how many of those boxes of signatures will even be counted, we'll maybe get an answer as of Thursday, but the city's position is, eh, we'd like to not count any of them, but if we have to count any of them, we'd like to throw away some of them because they missed a deadline that they had extended by a judge that we fought against and then had another judge pull it back. I talked to dyed-in-the-wool liberal, democratic, reliable voters all the time. And the only ones, the only ones who have any loyalty right now to the party are those who seem to be unaffected by marginalization. That is a recipe for disaster come November, y'all. I'm just putting it out there. It is to me both the beauty and the weakness of the democratic Party or the liberal movement in this country, in that it's a mosaic of different uh, 
peoples. And when the largest chunk, but maybe not the majority, is your liberal white voter, and they don't understand the plight of the marginalized all around them enough to aid in pushback, you start to see the fractures. And the fractures become divisions. Divisions become gulfs. Turnout becomes suppressed. Yeah, to me, this isn't just about Cop City. But obviously, Cop City is a very important issue here in Metro Atlanta. And you know what? For DeKalb County residents who don't live in the city of Atlanta as well, it's an important issue because it's in their county, even if they didn't get to really have a say in it. But these are the sort of localized issues that become nationally important when they have consequences at the ballot box in November. Back after this, The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday morning. So yesterday we learned that the funny Willis revelations from Friday, the little news dump, yeah, we kind of were seeing each other and it should have no bearing on the cases that we're trying together. I'm talking of her and her relationship of sorts with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. It's opened the door. It's opened the door for more uh, judicial chicanery. Uh, reporting from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Bill Rankin, Tamar Hollerman, uh, says that there are more Trump defendants now calling for Fannie Willis to be removed in this election case. And you knew that was going to happen. They report two more co-defendants of Donald Trump on Monday said the Fulton County District Attorney should be removed from their election interference case, accusing her of prosecutorial misconduct. Which, listen, again, I, I, I'm going to put this in plain terms. There, if if there is misconduct, and I would argue there's there's smoke there. There is the potential for some misconduct, but not so much at the expense of the defendants, more at the expense of Fulton County voters and taxpayers. If we're going to have a beef from anybody, those are the people who should be offering the beef, right? Those are the people who have the complaint. Not the co-defendants. This doesn't affect them in a negative way. If anything, it affects them in a positive way. It, it provides the implication of distraction to somehow drop the ball because of, I don't know, lust? <laughs> but ugh. the article continues, former state Republican Party chair David Schaefer, okay, there's some partisan rationale for that, right? And ex-Coffee County GOP chairwoman Kathy Lathan. She's got a lot of gall here. Anyway, they say Willis' remarks at a historic black church in Atlanta, as well as her acknowledgement of a personal relationship with her top Trump prosecutor, show she is unfit to head up the sprawling racketeering case. Again, that is to their benefit. Why would they want to call attention to this? It's, it's, a, it's a spin. It's a distortion. It's a murkying of the waters. All the causes for the disqualification are self-inflicted blows. It's a quote on a motion filed by lawyers for Schaefer and adopted by Latham. Willis has strayed, quote, wildly from the legal guardrails that are designed to protect the accused from improper extrajudicial, extrajudicial comments. That is such a hard word to say, right? The reporting continues, the addition of Latham and Schaefer means five of the remaining 15 Trump defendants are now formally seeking to disqualify Willis and the DA's office from the case. Former Trump campaign aide Michael Roman was the first to do so. His court filing last month contended Willis must be removed because 
she had financially benefited from an improper romantic relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. In a response on Friday, the DA's office and Wade acknowledged the personal relationship, but said it does not require Willis or the office to be removed from the case. Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee has set a February 15th hearing on the matter in nine days, and we'll get an answer to that. Again, you have to wonder, um, why would the defendants want to... I, I mean, I get wanting to try and bring this to the court of public opinion. This is the sort of, uh, how, how did you say it? I'll say it's salacious stuff that is tabloid material. But it doesn't have an impact negatively on the defendants. If anyone has a complaint, it's those of us who pay DA Fonnie Willis and through her office, Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade, for the work that they're doing. And, I mean, has anyone even filed a run against her? Has, has anyone filed a recall petition? Is there a petition circulating that I know about? Oh, do we even have do we even have the procedure at Fulton County to <laughs> referendums? Oh gosh, no, that's what I'm saying. Uh, most of us just want her to do her damn job. I, I, listen, if they if they're doing their job, they're doing it well, and they happen to be dating each other, I don't care. I don't care. If there's questions about uh, how much he's getting paid versus how much other people are getting paid, again, that is a question for. I don't know, maybe our Fulton County Commission to bring up. I know the state uh, Republicans in the state legislature, uh, state legislature want to discuss this, and now they've got an, uh, a panel with uh, subpoena power. I mean, go for it. Go for it. In the meanwhile, let them do their job. The new motion from Schaefer filed by lawyers, I'm reading back to the AJC here, uh, Craig Gillen, Anthony Lake, and Holly Pearson acknowledge that a court hearing on these claims, quote, is unseemly and an uncomfortable experience for all involved. Bless them. But the actions by Willis and Wade were, quote, completely avoidable errors in which the defense had no hand but are of such significance that the defense has no choice but to put them before the court. Like Roman, Chafe had argued that Phyllis Willis financially benefited from her appointment of Wade. Court records show Wade has billed the county for more than $728,000 in legal fees. And Roman's motion said Wade used some of that money to pay for vacations he took with Willis to Napa Valley and the Caribbean. Willis, Schaefer's motion said, quote, presumably possesses a personal interest in a romantic interest. Mr. Wade continuing to receive large amounts of state or county funds by remaining a special assistant district attorney in the case. I mean, come on. <laughs> Airline tickets, a cruise, thats it's so pedantic. It's so meaningless. And again, I, I've said this. Fonny, if you can afford your own cruise ticket, you should have bought your own cruise ticket. If you can afford your own plane ticket, and she can't. She makes a six-figure salary. You should have bought your own plane ticket. Unforced error. Not going to disagree, but I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that she's somehow enriched because of this. Have they bought property together that I don't know of? Back to the article. In an affidavit attached... To the DA's response filed Friday, Wade said expenses for their trips, quote, were roughly divided equally between us. I'd like to see that. I would. I would like to see that. I want to see that. Schaefer says that's not the case. His lawyer said receipts, which have been shared publicly, are not remotely roughly equal. Here's the problem. The only receipts they have are of Nathan Wade. They don't know what Fonnie Willis 
may or may not have paid for or contributed in those travel expenses. And I guess that's where we come to what may happen on February 15th. Will Scott McAfee ask for? Will DA Fonnie Willis provide receipts that show that she contributed as well in any travel expenses? And then you have to get back to the speech that she gave at the church where she invoked race. Schaefer's motion also cited Willis' remarks on the weekend of Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday at Atlanta's Big Bethel AME Church. During a speech from the pulpit, Willis questioned why Wade, who is black, was being singled out when her other two special prosecutors are white. I said then, I didn't like that, and here we have that coming home to roost. In Schaefer's filing... The obvious intent of her remarks was to inject and infect the jury pool in Fulton County with unfounded allegations that anyone who dares question her or Mr. Wade's conduct must have done so for racist purposes. Broadcasting five days a week to make common sense common again. This is The Ron Show on America One Radio. So, have you heard anything in the latest news cycle with regards to Donald Trump and his assertion that he has broad immunity because he was president of the United States and could pretty much do anything he wanted, whether it was legal or illegal, as long as he thought it was, quote, within the realm of the job? Well, on that note... So there is breaking news now from the federal appeals court that has now ruled that former President Donald Trump does not have immunity. This in the January 6th matter that deals directly with the special prosecutor, uh, Jack Smith. The decision marks the second time in as many months that judges have turned away Trump. Now, the, the trial had been set for March, but it was postponed about a week ago, and the judge did not set a new date. Whether that changes, we do not know. But you can expect appeals from um, the Republican nominee leader that ultimately could reach the U.S. Supreme Court. Jonathan Turley with us now. Sir, if you can hear me okay, does this surprise you, yes or no? No, this is the result that some of us predicted. Uh, The panel was very skeptical of these arguments. What former President Trump was advancing was a sweeping and unprecedented claim of immunity. And that's, it's not surprising that this panel rejected it. The interesting thing about this opinion is that they cite the impeachment and quote from it as saying that the president sought to incite uh, this effort to overturn the election. Mm-hmm. And that's going to go now forward. The most practical impact of this appeal was indeed the delay that it it caused. It was very important for the Trump team to try to push this trial back. Mm. They succeeded in doing that, as you mentioned. Why? Now, the next stage here is that they can ask for review of the entire court, (laughs) what's called an in-bank petition. That has to be reviewed and voted on, even if they reject it, and that'll take some time. And then they will no doubt appeal to the Supreme Court, right. which is now has a considerable stack uh, on the desks of these justices, including election-related cases. Because that's exactly what innocent people do, right? They delay, they prolong, they drag out. Here's a quirky thing about Fox News, by the way. Between the hours of 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. when this story broke today, 
Fox News dedicated about 10 minutes of coverage. In that three-hour window, you just heard roughly a quarter of all of Fox News' coverage on this breaking story within the first three hours of that window of time today. CNN devoted about half of their time between 10 and 1, one hour, 39 minutes. MSNBC devoting one hour, 34 minutes to this big story that Fox News gave a grand total of 10 minutes to. Meanwhile, over on Newsmax... Welcome in our panel to discuss this. We have Hogan Gidley, the former national press secretary for the Trump campaign and former principal deputy press secretary at the White House with us. And also Ms. Caroline Levitt, who is the national press secretary currently for the Trump 2024 campaign. Welcome in. Great to see you both. That is a rather balanced panel of experts to weigh in on Newsmax, right? <laughs> Two former Trump. OK, whatever. Thanks, Thanks Bianca. All right, I want to get your reaction first, Hogan, to the appeals court in D.C. Really not too much of a surprise here. And as John just very articulately laid out, there's a lot of pathways. Trump still can go to Supreme Court. There's a few days here. This may also be something that's going on past November. I mean, so mm. many different uh, scenarios. What's your take on this ruling, though? Not immune. Stephen Chung had some pretty strong words saying this is this is not the way to go. Sure. Well, first things first, Donald Trump did nothing wrong here. Uh, he's not guilty of anything because what he did did not incite any insurrection. The whole thing is bogus on its face. I think people across this country are beginning to understand that more and more. But Donald wow. Trump will appeal this. I mean, you have judges who were appointed by Joe Biden, one by H.W. Bush, kind of focused on, you know, probably hating Trump, if I had to guess, as we begin to dig up some of the information about them and their past. But regardless, Donald Trump is being targeted by a weaponized federal government, by three-letter agencies, now by the judicial branch as well, going after him for doing his own job, for doing uh, the duties mm. as outlined by the Constitution as president of the United States. Mm. And so he is right that if this does go through and this continues, uh, you know, Democrats will reap the whirlwind because this is the rules they play by. Did he just say Democrats will, will rue the whirlwind? Let's go back. What was that again? He is right that if this does go through and this continues, uh, you know, Democrats will reap the whirlwind because this the is the rules they play by. Mm. And so if they think Republicans aren't going to play by those same rules when Joe Biden leaves office, they're crazy. Mm. Because mm -hmm. if they do the right thing, Republicans will indict Joe Biden for not following the law, for not enforcing the law on the border, for example, and that should be a slam dunk case. So you open this Pandora's box, uh, Democrats, you're going to get what you get, you know, exactly what you wanted. Yeah. The often indicted found guilty of sexual assault by a jury and forced to pay $83 million in damages. Former president of the United States took to Truth Social and to his uh no, I'm sorry, just, just Truth Social. This was regurgitated on X, formerly known as Twitter, through the Trump Daily Post. All caps, of course. A president of the United States must have full immunity, without which it would be impossible for him or her to properly function. Any mistake, even if well-intentioned, would be met with almost certain indictment by the opposing party at term end. Even events that, quote, cross the line... <laughs> God must fall under total immunity or it will be years of trauma trying to determine good from bad. There must be certainty. Example, you can't stop police from doing the job of strong and effective crime prevention because you want to guard against the occasional, quote, rogue cop or, quote, bad apple. Sometimes you just have to live with, quote, great but slightly imperfect. 
All presidents must have complete and total presidential immunity or the authority and decisiveness of a president of the United States will be stripped and gone forever. Hopefully this will be an easy decision. God bless the Supreme Court. Oh, what a nice little uh, Supreme Court. Hey, baby. At the end there. All right, you're going to have to forgive my simple brain because this has all gotten so legally wonky. And I think that's partially by design. I mean, not just from the system itself, but the use of the system to make our eyes all glaze over with, the hell are these people talking about? I just want something adjudicated. I want this to come to completion. And the longer this drags out, the more I think it sort of emboldens his base to think, oh, they're just picking on him. They won't just let him be. And oh, why is this dragging out? They clearly don't have the K. Yeah, I think that's all by design. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go to this piece from NBC News. Uh, Laura Jarrett is there to kind of explain this in somewhat layman's terms for us. And a good morning to you. We're coming on the air with breaking news about former President Donald Trump. Just moments ago, a federal appeals court in Washington, D.C., rejected Mr. Trump's legal claim that the former president is immune from criminal charges for his efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. This all ahead of his criminal trials that are slated to start a little bit later this year, as early as March, perhaps. Let's go straight to our senior legal correspondent, Laura Jarrett. So let's just start with what this ruling means and what it does not mean. And I would assume that the president will likely appeal immediately to the Supreme Court. He may go to the Supreme Court, Craig, but just to walk people through what has happened here, the former president tried to file this motion to try to get the case completely wiped away from the books, right? Because if he's immune from prosecution, then he cannot be trialed at all. And again, this isn't the case in Washington, D.C., where he's been accused of trying to overturn the last election. Now, he lost in the lower court on that issue. He appealed up to this three-judge panel, two Biden appointed one Bush appointee has rejected that completely. Now that he's lost at this level, he can try to go to the full panel of D.C. Circuit judges there. There are about 11 or 13 active judges. Or if he wants, he can go to the Supreme Court. Now, my, why might he want to go to the full D.C. Circuit? Because the whole point of this is to delay, delay, delay. And so if he does that, it slows this train down, Craig. Which is exactly what innocent people want to do, right? Delay, delay, delay. They don't want to clear their name. They want to delay, delay, delay. NBC's Garrett Hake has, uh, has been covering the former president. Uh, Garrett joins us now there from Washington. Garrett, have we heard anything so far from the, from the former president or his team? We've not yet, Craig, but I think we know what we will hear from the former president. I suspect he will announce an appeal either to the district court, uh, to the appeals court and Bank, as, as Laura was suggesting, or to the Supreme Court. He has been really singularly focused on this case, including posting on social media overnight what he believes is the importance of continuing this concept of presidential immunity past the presidency, suggesting that any future president would immediately be indicted after leaving office by the opposing party. He argues in public, uh, to a lesser degree than in his uh, filings before the courts, that a sitting president would be unable to properly function if this ruling had gone against him. Again, that was a post from last night. I suspect we will soon hear more from him today. And Craig, remember that Donald Trump has made all of these legal battles that he's engaged with, especially this case, central to his campaign. He argues that this is all political speech that he was involved in, that he's being targeted by the courts and by the Biden Justice Department because he cannot be beaten by 
President Biden electorally. Now he has this court defeat on his plate. I suspect we will soon see this continue to be a centerpiece of his political arguments. It has worked for him with his base, winning these first early primaries uh, in the Republican presidential nominating contest. Many Republican voters I've talked to say they could have agree with Donald Trump in theory about these cases, but there's peril for him politically down the line if these cases do move forward into the summer and early fall election season, Craig. And allow me, if you will, to pivot on on that point made earlier this morning from uh, Garrett Hake, who is uh, the NBC News embed with the Trump campaign. God bless him. Uh, that's the, that's why the Fulton County case to me is so important. I know it doesn't have anything to do with Jack Smith, and I know that there's been some coordination between uh, Jack Smith, the, pe- the special prosecutor, his case in D.C. Uh, regarding the insurrection claims and the Fonnie Willis case here, or the Fulton County case involving D.A. Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade here in Fulton County. This isn't just about one or the other. This is about painting the overwhelming photo, the overwhelming picture of uh, the conspiracy to overturn election results here in Georgia and in other states. We have evidence of that, or we appear to have evidence of that in Arizona. We also seem to be able to paint a picture of intent to incite an insurrection in Washington. And, I, I, you know, I, I hate to keep coming back to the court of public opinion, but at some point in time, are there enough rational minds within conservative culture in this country to conclude with rationality that there was not only an intent to incite an insurrection, which proved to be deadly for those in his own camp and could have gone worse, right? I mean, this really, this could have gone worse. And to overturn election results that were clearly reviewed over and over again within the state of Georgia and found to be right. In fact, upon review, Biden's margin grew. We've seen polling data that shows that support for Donald Trump's presidential aspirations shrink if he's found guilty. Obviously, as it should, but it's still like within the 3% margin of error. We just saw that in recent uh, NBC News, Wall Street Journal polling. And that, you know, can come back to, as as I opined yesterday, the Democrats and Biden-Harris messaging, man. Y'all got to get better at this messaging thing. And I, I get it. You're dealing with a deficit, an age deficit that, for whatever reason, the American public just cannot overcome. And let me say this, going back to the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll that came out, uh, it was taking over the the course of the last week of January, the last four days of January, 26th through the 30th. We've had economic news that's come out since then. Also, got to point this out, too, when you look for statistical purposes, the racial makeup of that polling, 72% non-Hispanic white, which is about 12.5% higher than the national average. So... Mm, is that skewing the data just a little bit? Perhaps. That said, when you look at real clear politics polling averages in some key states, like Georgia, for example, Trump's ahead of Biden by more than two points. Wisconsin, Trump's ahead of Biden by about two points. When you look at Pennsylvania, it's... Anyone's race. It looks like Biden has a 0.3% lead, but 
Can you count on that? And what concerns me is you see all these poll results that show, well, if he's convicted, we're, we're totally going to fall off the wagon. And yet it seems like the more bullets he takes, the stronger he gets. And of course, this is all about drawing this out, hopefully up to or maybe even beyond Election Day, where, of course, once he's in office, he can poof, wipe the slate clean. You don't think that's a tactic? Listen to this. You've been following this case closer than most. I know you've been pouring over some of these documents. So one thing that's important for the timing here, because remember, that's, of course, what the former president's goal is here, is to slow this down. The D.C. Circuit, this federal appeals court, has said that he has a certain prescribed period in which he can try to appeal to the Supreme Court, as we were talking about, and he can try to go to the D.C. Circuit. But they've given him a very narrow window, so he can't just sort of sit on this as long as he wants. He has roughly a week through about February 12th if he wants to go to the Supreme Court. If he goes the Supreme Court, everything on here that's happening right now will stay on pause. He can do that while it works its way through the court system. If he doesn't go to the Supreme Court by February 12th, then this is back in action. What does that mean? Then the trial date is back on. Because right now, remember, this case has been working its way through the courts for months now. Yeah. And so the trial date has essentially been frozen in time. But now that they said he's not immune, theoretically, he could be tried. But what they're saying is he will have some time now to go to the Supreme Court, again, roughly till about February 12th. By the way, there's a cool infographic. I will share it. Can I do it on Instagram? It's kind of a tall graphic, but I'm going to try and share it on Instagram at Roncho ATL. Also at Roncho ATL on Facebook. Yeah, I'm going to try and share this. Uh, maybe even can get it on Twitter X at Roncho ATL. Uh, Jacob Kovacs Goodman puts this together that shows us the scenarios in play and when this uh, could all come to a conclusion. And the four options would be uh, October 5th through 15th, October 19th through 30th, or September 1st, or denied, which is unlikely. It's awful close to election day, isn't it? Again, if you follow us on uh, any of your social media platforms, Twitter, X, Instagram, or Facebook, at Ron Show ATL, I'll share that infographic for you to see. Okay, one more segment, the dead-on-arrival immigration bill that just shows Republicans for the frauds that they are when the Ron Show returns in minutes or seconds on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday, and I have pointed this out a few times over the last week or so. The show initially airs on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, between the hours of 9 and 10 a.m. We replay it now 5 to 6 p.m. It used to be that we played it 5 to 6 p.m. and then re-aired it the next morning, 8 to 9 a.m. But no, now we have taken it uh, chronologically where it makes more sense, and it actually helps me with my business. I'm a residential realtor, by the way, with EXP Realty. Need to buy or sell a home in Metro Atlanta? Holla. 404-919-2725. Anyway, so we have changed the trajectory of what the show does chronologically so that it airs first 9 to 10 a.m. This morning... The second half of the show was completely different than what you are hearing if you're listening 5 to 6 p.m. or you listen via podcast. So kudos to those of you who listen between 9 and 10 a.m. and then catch the podcast or the replay 5 to 6 p.m. because you're getting new material this afternoon or this evening or whenever it is that you're listening to this episode of The Ron Show. (sighs) I wasn't supposed to work so much on this show, but I enjoy doing it and I enjoy... uh, providing uh, an opportunity to give a perspective from a truly left of center point of view where I think a lot of that commentary is missing. So uh, this initially was a large chunk of my show 
in the morning, but then the Trump immunity stuff dropped and I had to recalibrate, which is what the last segment was about. Anyway, let's dive into the latest on the immigration bill that is a bipartisan agreement out of the Senate that now even Republicans in the Senate are backing away from because they know the House isn't going to touch it because it's dead on arrival. You can't make this up. The Republicans are the ones that wanted to attach uh, an immigration bill to Ukraine and Israeli aid, and now they want to do a standalone Israeli aid bill while House Speaker Mike Johnson says, fingers behind his back crossed, that we'll get to Ukraine eventually. Nah, brah, we ain't buying that. I'm sorry. You guys are Lucy with the football. You keep putting it down. We keep taking swings and the ball disappears somehow. Never mind the fact that you know this bill actually does contain enough that Republicans should be happy with because progressives on the left are actually unhappy with it. But you know who actually is happy with this bill? The men and women on the ground, the Border Patrol Agents Union. From NBC News, the National Border Patrol Council, which endorsed Donald Trump for president in 2020... Are you hearing me here? The National Border Patrol Council, it's a union that endorsed Donald Trump in 2020, said that this new bipartisan bill will drop illegal border crossings nationwide. (laughs) Julia Zirkin at NBC News reporting, as conservatives in Congress have blasted the new bipartisan border agreement for not going far enough, the legislation earned a key endorsement Monday. The labor union that represents U.S. Border Patrol agents. Uh Uh-oh. Labor union. But it's a labor union of Border Patrol agents. The National Border Patrol Council, which represents more than 18,000 agents, said the bill would, quote, drop illegal border crossings nationwide and will allow our agents to get back to detecting and apprehending those who want to cross our border illegally and evade apprehension. Sirkin's piece continues. It's a significant statement of support from a group that endorsed former President Donald Trump in 2020 and has repeatedly railed against President Joe Biden's handling of the border. This is not a left-wing labor union, y'all. They continued in their endorsement. While not perfect, the Border Act of 2024 is a step in the right direction and is far better than the current status quo. That from Brandon Judd, president of the council, in their statement. This is why the National Border Patrol Council endorses this bill in hopes for its quick passage. And Republicans call these Border Patrol agents, oh, they're heroes, they're, they're foot soldiers on the ground, uh, right there on the front lines, uh, protecting our country, until they go off script. Uh, they're not happy that the Border Patrol Agents Union has said, uh, this bill is better than nothing, we need to take this. Last night, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson on Laura Ingraham on Fox News. The Border Patrol Union has has said, come out and said, the bill is better than the status quo. Does that affect your thinking on this? Well, I, I, I think it does have something to do with the pay structure that's in the bill. I understand that oh they're my desperate uh, for, <laughs> for measures that will assist. Okay. <laughs> that's so funny. They're just in it for the money. This is one of those cases where Republicans don't know how to take the win. I mean, they couldn't get legislation like this passed when they had control of the House the Senate, and the White House when a fellow by the name of Donald John Trump was in office. They were okay with him breaking international law and lying to the voters about who was going to pay for it. But here you have a Democrat president and a Democrat-led Senate working on a bipartisan effort to craft actionable immigration policy that your Border Patrol Agents Union says is a step in the right direction, and Republicans can't take the victory. Which just tells you all you need to know about the GOP. On two fronts. One, 
They don't care to govern. They just want to break it down. They want to bog it down, create a quagmire, make the American people feel like, well, this government doesn't work for anybody, so we should just tear it all down and get back to states' rights. What, the Articles of Confederation again? For a party that pledges to love the Constitution, it sure seems like you're trying to get back to a state-centric federal governance. The other part that you have to remember is Republicans don't want to solve the immigration crisis. They want to keep running on it because a large portion of their base, eh, they're kind of xenophobic. They hear the dog whistle of the great replacement theory that Tucker Carlson, etc. love to blow into. That's going to do it for the Ron Show. Done this show twice today, and I don't normally do that, but I am back here tomorrow, 9 to 10 a.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, and then afterwards, wherever you podcast. Show notes and more, and we got plenty. RonShowATL.com. Have yourselves a great evening.